It says, it's great to see you guys. It's great to be here. It's an honor to, to stand here and to be able to share the word with you guys. Uh, we have some really, really great communicators all across all of our campuses here at Northwood Church, don't we? We have some, you guys have, I'm next to last in this message series here at Gulfport, and uh, you guys have heard some really, really great stories, and so I'm just glad to be able to continue that. But before I do, I'd be remiss if I didn't say one quick little thing. How many of you guys were here for Night of Worship? Wow, wow. We, it, was, it was funny, it's talking about, you know, the, the, you know the, your tithes, your offerings, your giving helps keep the lights on, and we literally shut them off during Night of Worship. <laughs> If you weren't here, it's literally mid-song. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Everybody kept singing. Everybody was going. The, the feeling in this house was absolutely amazing. It really was. It was amazing. So I want to personally say thank you to Joel. Thank you for all that you do to help this out, to put this all together. You guys think that sometimes that this is, um, you know, he just kind of throws a bunch of names and, and songs in a hat and goes, I'll take this one and this one, and I don't know that one, but I'll sing it, okay, sure. No, I mean, everything, the entire feel, the entire theme of that night was orchestrated and crafted and put together in a way that showed the gospel of Jesus Christ, that showed his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the glory of Jesus Christ. So thank you, Joel, thank you, band, thank you, singers. Amazing, amazing job. We, get, we got another one next week, right? No. <laughs> Do not ask them for at least another month. Don't ask them at all, because it's, but uh, I know that we'll, we'll put a request in for another one soon, because um, it was an amazing night. And it was amazing to have all four campuses here as well. It was really, really great to see everybody here together. The, again, the energy and the presence in the house of worship was great, but the energy even pre and post service was just a really great energy. We get to see our entire Northwood Church family and uh, it was a beautiful thing. So thank you guys for being here. Make, make plans to be at the next one whenever we announce that a year from now or whatever the case might be. <laughs> it's gonna be a great time. But I hope you guys have enjoyed the Legends Message series. Um, this has been an interesting series to me. Um, I, every time I read the Old Testament as a kid and even as an adult, I just sometimes grow back and I just, what? He did, huh? It's just this weird scratch of my head about what's going on. Was it um, you know, Jonah and the whale, you know, or the big fish as Pastor Casey, you know, as the scriptures say. Like, I'm a big guy, okay? That was a big fish. To sw- I was like, so was Jonah just really tiny, or was it just a really big fish? Which one was it? Uh, maybe it was both, I don't know. But I read stories like that. You read stories of, of Noah's Ark, and what did Pastor Mike say? It was 40 years, probably on the, the short side, to build this ark. What was that anticipation like for 40 years of building a boat saying that what's going to happen? Why am I building this boat? I don't know what I'm doing. And all these stories that we continue to hear throughout the Old Testament, they just, they're odd. They're just odd. I mean, they, they don't really make sense sometimes. We don't really know what's going on. Hey, I want you to go to this Red Sea and what's gonna happen now? Hey, stand there, do it like this and we're just gonna part it. What? And he does and it happens. And all these things just happen and happen and happen. But the beauty of that is that everything that we, we hear in the Old Testament, all these stories that you've heard thus far continue to point to the character and to the beauty of Jesus Christ. 
They continue to point to the beauty and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And forgive me, I have a mint tucked back here in my mouth. If you hear me, smack. My sinuses are gone. I don't know where they are. They left the building and it's tough. So uh, forgive me if you hear a smack or an extra drink of water there. I am doing my best. Um, but it's just a beauty th that we get to see that. We get to see that character of Christ and we get to see, hear all these things and the faithfulness that he has to us and to his people. And I'm just thankful that we get to see that. And so I'm gonna share with you guys a little bit more, um, probably maybe a little different character than you may have thought. And we're gonna talk a little bit about the context. We're gonna talk about how that applies to the gospel and then we're gonna talk about how that applies to us here today. So I'm gonna talk to you about Gideon. How many of you heard the story of Gideon? There we go. He was a story that I loved when I was a kid. I loved powerful stories and powerful men of the Bible. We named our, our son, we named him Judah. And Judah, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so when I think about my son, I think of this strong warrior and he's already proven to be a strong personality. And um, he is that. I love that boy. Man, I do. But I think about that and I think about Gideon and I think about this strong kind of character because if we read this story, you can tell he, there's some weaknesses in there, there's some things that you're here, but then there's some really great, powerful strengths that happen uh, with Gideon. So I wanna share that with you guys today. So Gideon was also known as Jerubbabel. So if you're, if you're reading your scripture and you see Jerubbabel, you'll also hear that as Gideon. He is found in the book of Judges, chapters six through eight. He has the most scriptures written about him of all of the judges. He's the sixth of the 12 judges that you'll hear in the book of Judges. I'm saying judges a lot. But it's a six of 12, and he is, again, the most talked about judge that we get. Most everybody else kind of gets this paragraph, but he gets three chapters uh, devoted to him and to his story. And judges were not only just judges. They did a little bit more than just kind of dealing out what was going on. They, they were administrators. They were great military commanders. They were great people that would begin to deliver the people of Israel they would reside over judicial matters and things of that nature. There was a lot of things that were happening for them. But throughout that book of Judges, as we, each one of these comes up, we see this repetitive pattern that continues over and over and over again. There's a graphic that'll be on the screen here that kind of is, illustrates that continual pattern. You see it in Judges 2, 11, and 23. He talks about that gra this graphic and this continual pattern. But this, this pattern that people commit sin. Israel commits sin, they fall into sin, and they fall into idolatry. Then God gets angry. God's angry at their sin. God is frustrated, he's, he's just irritated, he's just overwhelmed by their, their continual pattern to fall into sin, and God allows Israel to be oppressed. He allows for oppression to take place, and the people, they begin to cry out. Israel repents, they say, God, come, come help us. God, we need you. God of our forefathers, we need you. They repent, God sends a judge. God sends a judge to deliver Israel, and then there's peace. Israel's faithful. While this judge is alive and there's peace in the land, judge dies, what happens next? Israel commits sin. They fall into idolatry. They are, God allows for them to be oppressed. They repent, God sends a judge. There's peace in the land, the judge dies they fall back into sin. It's this continual pattern over and over and over and over all throughout the book of Judges. And when we get into Judges chapter six here with Gideon, they had just come out of 40 years of peace under Deborah. 40 years of peace. 
after 40 years of peace, I'm good with it. Let me, I like peace. Let me keep peace. But yet, once again, dies, fall into sin. And Judges chapter 6, verse 1, uh, in those first six verses we'll read, you'll hear that. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. They did evil. God allows them to be oppressed and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, they would come up like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help from the Lord. This is that first little, these first three sections of this, of the, the graphic that I just showed you. Israel is, is coming into evil and doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord. There's a season of oppression. And here in the last, the last verse, the people cried out to help from the Lord. Now they're calling into repentance. Because Midian is a very evil and vicious overlord. It is a very uh, oppressive scenario to the point where they ran into the caves. To the point where the, the Israelites would kind of crawl into the, the caves and the dens of the mountains. And can you imagine just spending all of your day and all of your time just in a cave because there's somebody else out there that you don't want to deal with? I couldn't imagine that. I also couldn't imagine the fact that, that when Midian came in, they would basically take out everything they had. They would take out everything they had. Any gardeners in the house? I've asked this at every campus, and it is amazing to me that there's very few people that garden anymore. We got, you garden? Really? I would have never taken you for a gardener. I just wouldn't. Anybody else? We got, I can see some in the back. We got a few. All right. Good job, Gulfport. See, I grew up in a, in a small town in eastern North Carolina. Grew up on a farm. Uh, my grandfather had 112 acres of pasture land, and we, had, we lived in the front five um, up front. We had a couple of acres of a garden. We had, I don't know what y'all call it down here. Is it a pecan, pecan? Pe what is it? Y'all call it pecans? Okay, we called it pecans. That's what we called them. I don't know why it was a pecan. So we had pecan trees. We had apple trees. We had corn, potatoes, tomatoes, greens, beans. You know the rest of the little jingle. We had them all. Yeah, some of you caught that. You'll be singing it the rest of the afternoon. Congratulations. We had them all. We had all that stuff. And I remember how much time it took to do that. I remember how many rotten tomatoes I had to pick off the vine I remember when I, when I came up, we moved to Mobile uh, back in 2014, got a little, or 2015, and we, got a, we had a little subdivision, house in the subdivision, and we put up a, a, a privacy fence. I said, you know what? My wife loves tomatoes, loves them. Just some little, che little cherry tomato things, just pops them like candy. And I'm like, I'm gonna plant a garden for my wife. That's what I'm gonna do. She's gonna have fresh tomatoes anytime she wants them. So I plant a garden on this side over here, and I planted this little raised bed garden because I didn't want to till the soil and make that right. It was a sandy mess. Planted it. I didn't think about it, didn't think through the process that the sun in the afternoon is over here. My fence is here, my garden was here. I literally baked 
everything in my garden all summer long. It, the sun would hit the fence and would just, everything was just wilted and, and terrible. So I'm like, oh my goodness. I had to tear everything up, put a fire pit right there. Since the grass wasn't anywhere there, we put a fire pit. Um, so we had a fire pit over here now. So I moved it to the other side of the, gar- of the, of the, the yard and things began to grow. I mean, it wasn't being cooked. It was every, the, the sun was kind of shaded now because the privacy fence was here. But in the back of our field or yard, we put it like a picket-style fence. We backed up to trees. So I wanted to see the trees, and I wanted to kind of have a little bit of a view. And now we had rabbits, all sorts of stuff. I mean, as a kid, I picked green onions out of the yard all day long. I could not grow an onion to save my life. Every rabbit and varmint and critter would come take everything that I had, and it was deflating. It was really, all I wanted to do was provide my wife some tomatoes. That's all I wanted to do. And it was deflating how, just taking my little bit of what I had and the time and the work and the energy that I spent for that garden. Well, here's the thing for these people. My garden was just for a treat, for a best, best, lack of a better term. My garden was just to give my wife a bowl of fresh tomatoes. But I can go to Walmart and get a bowl of fresh tomatoes. These people could not. These people could, there was no Walmart, there's no Rouse's, there's no Piggly Wiggly, no Winn-Dixie, no whatever it is that you go to to get everything that they did was provided around the food that they grew, the livestock that they, they, they cared for or whatever else. Everything in them was here. That little bit of work that we put in for our gardens that takes up everything that we have, that may be deflating when you can't get some, when something dies. But for them, when the people of Midian would come and take everything, it took their entire livelihood, took everything that they had. And you would think after times like this, over and over again, that they would kind of get the idea, but yet they didn't. They continued to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord over and over and over again. And they cried out to the Lord and they called for help. Here we hear, see the call from God in Judges 6, 12 and 14. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? That elaborate story of gardening that I just said, why has all this happened to us where you have taken everything from us and shoved us into the dens and into the caves? Why is all this happening to us? And where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of the Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. The Lord calls Gideon in a place where he's just questioning like, hey, what's going on? What do I do? What's happening here? I'm not really understanding. All this is happening and you want me to do this? And the Lord says, yes, go in this might of yours. The rest of the chapters six, seven, and eight, we get into describing the battle and describing what's actually happening here. And for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of summarize that scenario here. The Lord wanted the Israelites to know how strong he was. There was only about 32,000 Israelite soldiers, about 32,000. And it's estimated roughly about 120,000 Midianites, roughly. I've heard as much as 135, 150, I don't know. 120,000 or so, and Jesus says to to Gideon, he says, you know what, that's too many. You got too many soldiers. He says, go talk to them. Tell them, say, hey, whoever of you is just scared, don't wanna do this anymore. You look at the whole thing, you don't like it, go home. 
22,000 of the 32,000 says, I'm out, later. Looks a little bit too scary to me. We were already hiding in our dens, but now you want me to do that? No, 22,000 of the 32,000 leave. Jesus says, or God, he says, you know what, hey, that's still too many. 10,000, you sure about that? I, that's, I really need all I can get. Yep, that's too many. I want you to take them down to the water. Those that will kneel down and drink the water, tell them to go home. Those that would pick up the water and lap it like a dog. Those are the mean, crazy people that I want you to take with you. Those that will kneel down and lap it, like, and cup it up and lap it like a dog. 300 of the 10,000 said, hey, this is what we're doing. And God says, now you've got enough. He said, I want you to take those 300. I want you to divide them up into 100, 100, and 100. I want you to give them jars, a lantern, and a trumpet. When I tell you, break the jars, hold up your lanterns, sound the trumpets. What happens, they were standing on the hills. They gave the signal. He comes out, and basically, Midianite goes crazy. The whole story goes in. They go crazy. They basically draw their own swords, attack each other, and run in chaos. And the Israelites defeat the Midianite army that day. No recollection, there's no sign, there's no story, there's nothing that says they even drew a sword. They never had to even come into battle, but yet Gideon took these 300 people and said, we're going to do this, and yet they defeated them just by breaking jars with a torch and a trumpet. Wow, wow, what a story. What a crazy story that we continue to see kind of throughout the Bible and how this story takes place, that victory comes through jars, trumpets, and a torch. I mean, don't try it at home. Don't, don't try something like that. Be out there with a flashlight and a trumpet and, you know, like, no, don't try that. Not the, the chosen way of doing it. But these, these children of Israel, they were notoriously going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth like we talked about, and they were returning to, to sin. There's 40 years of, of peace. Now then there's seven years of judgment, and now that through this battle, they bring about peace. There's rest with Gideon at the helm. But so many times God performed great miracles for them and provided for them, provided a way of escape from the Midianite people. God provided this way and yet they continue to go back into a place of sin over and over and over. And God continued to deliver them over and over and over. And through all these times and through all the times of them going back into sin, Jesus continues to say that you are my chosen people. I love you. You are my chosen people. Through the people that go through all these terrible times that you would think that they would figure it out and yet they would continue to fall back into sin and oppression and they continued to be delivered over and over and over again. Does this sound like a little bit like your life? Sounds a little bit like mine, I'll be honest. Sounds a little bit like the story of my life of I gave my life to Jesus at seven years old at a camp. We sang Kalaja or something one night, we really did. We sang songs, we played off. I ate way too many Skittles than what I needed to, know, to eat. But yet, there was a gospel message presented at a camp and I gave my life to Jesus. I became a teenager, I did some stupid, stupid stuff. <laughs> I did some really wild things and it really wasn't just living for Christ. I'm back down into the dumps. At 15, I went to a, a conference and saw thousands of students all across this conference. And they said, you know, and I watched them. And I said, if they can do it, I can do it. I remember those words like it was yesterday. If they can do it, I can do it. I gave my life to Christ. And you know what? I am going to do this thing. College hit. Got away from home. 
Got away from the norm. Got away from all the things that I know and the things that I did. And I did some stupid, stupid stuff. Life hit me in a way that just smacked me up against the wall. And I began to do some really, really, really dumb stuff. Life happened and I committed my life and I I made commitments and I asked God to forgive me and he came back every single time and he forgave me, every time. Every time he began to forgive me over and over and over again. The story that we see with the Israelite people is the same story that we see today in our lives, the same story that we have with Jesus in our life and all throughout this story in the Old Testament, all these things you will continue to see Deliverance and salvation happen over and over and over again. In this specific story, Gideon, he was the least of them. He was the least of their many, and he brought about salvation. And God had a similar plan to bring about somebody that nobody would ever think about in coming from a virgin Mary that sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, not of royalty or not of nobility. No one was expecting a Messiah or a Christ like this. No one expected to be a, a humble king but yet he came and he died on a cross that we might have life, we might have life on the, more abundantly. And that story that we see through Gideon, we continue to see through Jesus Christ, and that story shows that God has mercy, that God has grace for us. I say it this way, I say, I love that there's, to me, when I wake up in the morning, there's like a bucket of grace over here, and there's a bucket of mercy over here. And I can wake up in the morning, and there's grace. All the grace that I could ever need, all the mercy that I could ever need. And sometimes I'm gonna deplete this bucket because I'm a failure at best. Sometimes I complete, I deplete this bucket. And when I wake up in the morning, that bucket is there again, completely full, ready for God to give me all the grace and the mercy that he could ever give me because he loves me. That is the story that we continue to see through the Old Testament. It's the story that we see through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. But I love how one writer says it, and he says it this way. Gideon's story is much bigger than Gideon. Like everything else in the Bible, his story is actually about God and his people. It tells of his love for them, his enduring and boundless mercy towards them, and his strength operating in spite of and even through weakness in them. That's the story of Gideon. That's the story all throughout the Old Testament that we continue to have, his enduring mercy and love towards his people. His enduring love and his, his love for his people. This is the salvific message that we get throughout the Old Testament. This shows that God's salvation for his people continues throughout our, our disobedience even to him. There is nothing that you can do so great or so bad. There's not, you can't go back to that sin enough times that God will not forgive you. That God will not care for you, that God will not love you, and that God will be there for you to forgive you of your sin and your failure. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But as we look at this story of Gideon, we see this salvific message, we see this message of salvation and how God continues to forgive and save, but I also look at this, this is a story of God's purpose and his plan for you. This is a story about God's purpose and his plan, and you'll hear this over and over, and you've already heard it, but God will use it in spite of you, in spite of your own failure, in spite of who you are, in spite of your shortcomings, in spite of what you are, because in the next few minutes, let me break this down for you guys with just a few quick points. Number one, God will use the least of these to accomplish his plan. Amen. God will use the least of these. All throughout scripture, you're gonna see that. All throughout scripture, God's using people that no one would have ever thought. No one would have ever thought. 
you look at the story of David and Goliath, and, and they go to Jesse, and they're like, hey, you got any sons? And they're like, yeah, yeah, no, you got any more? No, I got David. He's over in the field. He's just back there tending sheep. Send him. Uh, you don't want that guy. Yeah. Come on, we know the story. He comes out to the Goliath, and Goliath is like, you know, hey, what? You sent a kid to me? He picks up a smooth stone, knocks him in the head. It's over. It's done. The least of these. Even his own father said, yeah, probably not. Probably not the guy you really want. You look at somebody like Saul. Saul might not be the least of these when it comes to who he was, but he was the least likely to actually be, probably be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was on the road to persecute Christians. He was basically taking Christians saying, hey, here you go, here's that one, and just going out and getting and persecuting Christians. But yet, God met him on the road, changed his name to Paul, and he gives us the most of the New Testament that we read, one of the greatest missionaries that we could come across. You look at Jesus' disciples, you see fishermen, you see tax collectors, you see all sorts of random, least of these, least suspecting people out there, and yet God chose these people to be the ones that would carry out his message, that would be the supporters, that would be the, the troops, the ralliers, the pep rally people. Yeah, this Jesus, the least of these all throughout Scripture. In Judges 6 and 15, Gideon says this way, and he said to them, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I'm the, I'm, our, our family's nothing. We got nothing. We're, we're nobodies. We're the least in this group. You know, there's, everybody else has got way more than us, and I'm the least in my family. And yet God says, you mighty man of valor. What does valor mean? Again, I'm not a dictionary. I don't know things. I have to look it up. Thank you, Google. Valor means great courage in the face of danger, especially in battle. Isn't that a little ironic? Gideon is, in this story, Gideon is hiding in a cave, threshing wheat in a wine press in the cave, and God says, you are a great man of courage, even in the face of battle. Gideon, you're hiding in a cave, my man. You're hiding in a cave. You're, you're, you're scared to death of what's out there, and yet God says you are a mighty man of valor. You have great courage. You have great strength in the face of battle, even in your cave. All these things are out there, and yet I love how Jesus says, you know what, despite what you are, despite what you think, despite what you're in the situation you're in right now, despite what other people might say of you, that you're the least of these, despite all those things, God wants to use you. And God's looking past those things, and God's looking past all the exterior, maybe what other people say about you, but even what you think of yourself. Gideon is scared. He thinks of himself as scared that he can't handle it, and yet God says, you mighty man of valor. I love that he looks past all that things. We look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 and 27. He says this, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God is choosing what is foolish in the world to shame those who are wise. Nobody would think that Gideon, hiding in a cave, you're the one. Nobody would think that kind of thing. He didn't think it of himself. He even said, Lord, how can I save Israel? But yet, he, God chose what is foolish, and God chose what is weak. God chose those things to shame the strong. God is, is, is calling people, and I'm very, very thankful that, that our position 
and that our abilities in the sight of man doesn't hinder us, God, from using you. Your position, your abilities, and what other people see in you, what you think of yourself, what other people think of you, does not hinder God from using you in, what, in, in this lifetime. It does not hinder God from using you and allowing you to be used to, to create wonderful things. There are so many people that come from such small things that we read from Gideon to all throughout scriptures that God would use people from the least of these to do great and mighty things. I love how Judges 8 says it in 22 and 23. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandsons also. Gideon was nothing. Gideon was nobody. Gideon was the least of these. And yet he goes through this battle and goes through this situation. And the people of Israel say, you know what? I want you to rule over me. I want your son to rule over me. I want your grandsons to rule over me. For you have saved us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Gideon went from a place of nothing, of hiding in a cave. God called him, God used him, and yet God put him in a place of leadership for the people of Israel. God will use the least of these. Number two, God's design and our purpose is to always bring him glory. His design and our purpose is always to bring him glory. When things seem impossible, when things look dim like they can't be have happen, God will use the simplest and the easiest of things to bring him glory that we may not boast in and of ourselves. Chapter seven, verse two of Judges, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. There were too many people. We were at 32,000 to 120. That's a four to one odds, okay? I'm a big guy. I'm not a fighter, never been in a fight in my life. I'm a teddy bear. That's just, they call me the polar bear, but I'm the teddy bear, whatever you wanna call it, I don't know. But I'm a big guy, I can handle myself if I need to. Four to one, I might get a cheap shot in or two, you know what I mean? I might get in a good clean shot and we're gonna be good. Four to one, I'm like, yes, I don't want to, but I will if I have to. 12 to one, when they broke that thing down to 10,000 to 120,000, 12 to one, I'm, I'm not gonna have much chance. I'm gonna be calling Josh, be like, Josh, help me out, bro. I'm gonna be calling some people that got a little more muscles than I got. Help me, I need your help. I got one to 12, it's not happening. God, you know, go down to the water, 300 people to 132,000. We're now at 400 to one. I have no idea how many people are in this room. Give me one more person, though, at least. Joel, I'll need you. Not, don't come up here. No, I'm not telling you that. Just, if me and Joel are standing up here, he was scared to death. Like, whoa, what? If me and Joel are standing up here and it's like all of you guys are the people of Midian, that's kind of what we're looking at here. Us two against all y'all. We ain't got a chance, guys. Joel is an amazing specimen of a man, but we have no chance in the world of doing anything with that. No chance. There's no chances, but yet this is where God, this is how God divides everything up and puts everything up. It says 300 to 130, 120,000 or whatever it is. This is where, these are the odds and this is the place that we're in. 400 to one. And God says, I will do this so that no man may boast over me saying my own hand has saved me. First Corinthians, the next two verses of that scripture we just read 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God's design and his plan and his purpose is to bring him glory. And all that we do to bring him glory. Number one, I think that he just does, he knows that our pride is gonna get in the way. He knows that our pride, if we can do it ourselves, we're gonna always think that we can do it ourselves. We're gonna try to do everything ourselves. We're gonna try to bring about that ourselves. And we are going to fail miserably every time. We can do nothing in ourselves. But number two, I think that he knew that he's the only one that can do it. I believe that he knew that, he, that he's the only person that can save your soul. There's no other person, there's no other way, there's no other plan that can bring about salvation for me and you like the shed blood of Jesus Christ dying on a cross for me and you. So his design is to bring him glory. His purpose is to bring him glory in all that we do because he's the only one that can do it. He's the only one that can save us, that can heal, that can deliver us from the things that we're going through in this life. He is the only one. So his plan, his design, and everything that he does is to bring him glory so that others might know him and know that he is the one who did it. You hear that through Gideon. You hear every, they've been telling stories for years. The God of our forefathers. You hear that all throughout scripture. You hear that. The God of our forefathers. Everything. Where are the stories that we heard? He has been told his name has been lifted up over and over and over again so that he might be glorified. Lastly, God will do the supernatural if we'll be willing. God will do the supernatural if we'll be willing. I talk about this in our, my, my freedom message. I talk about purpose. I said if we'll focus on our purpose and if we'll focus on that, God will supernaturally work out all the other things in our life. God will supernaturally do things in our life that we didn't do, and God here will do the supernatural if we will only be willing. Gideon didn't want to. This wasn't something Gideon said. God, like, he's like, hey, I can't, I, I can't save the people. I can't do that. Gideon said over, like, I, I can't do that. I'm the least of these. I'm the least in my family. I can't do that. But at some point in time, something clicked, and he became willing. Now, it's interesting to me that he became and remained willing when he knocked them down to 300 people because at that time, I might have not been so willing. But Gideon, something clicked to the point where he knew that God was going to do something and he became willing, became willing to do it. And God did some supernatural things to deliver the people of Israel from the hand of the Midianites and bring peace to the land. God wants to do supernatural things through you. This is a pretty simple message in my opinion, I guess you could say, that God wants to do supernatural and beautiful things through you, if you'll only be willing. God wants to do things in you and through you that you can't do on your own, that, that, that there's things that you never thought you could do that God wants to do through you. There are people in this room that you're probably saying, you know what? I've done some really, really, really bad things. God says, I want to use you. The entire beginning of this story, you hear this salvation message that God continues to use people despite their continual sin. And God says, hey, if you'll just be willing, I want to use you. There are people in this room that you're saying, hey, maybe I'm just a little bit too old. I've passed my prime. I've passed my time. I wanna give it over to them. God still has some really amazing things for you. God has some amazing, amazing things from you. 
I looked at this house during night of worship and saw some of our, our um, senior adults just worshiping. I looked across this room and I saw their hands raised. I saw tears in their eyes. And while they didn't say a word, there was a, a story that was being told. There was a story that was being told of God's faithfulness and God's love for them as we sang those songs. There was a story being told through just the lifting of their hands. God wants to use you. I don't know what capacity, I can't tell you that, but God will still use you despite maybe a few extra gray hairs. God will use you. God will use you despite your past, your fears. You may be hiding in a cave somewhere. God still wants to use you. Gideon was the one that God chose to deliver the hand of Israel out of the hands of Midianites. God sent his son, Jesus, so that we might be delivered of our sins. And now he wants to use you to lead others to Christ so that they might be delivered of their sin. That's the story. Throughout the Old Testament, we, God uses people. God sends his son, and now we are in the place that we get to lead others to Jesus Christ. We talk about it. We sing about it. We are excited about it. We hoop and we holler, and we're just we're, we're overwhelmed with excitement of who God is and, and what God has done for us and how much God has done for us. And it is our time to stand up and tell others about it to tell other people about Jesus Christ, to tell them and to lead them to know Jesus Christ in their life. He's done amazing things for us. And I want to share that story with everybody that I see. If you would bow your heads with me. Today, again, the message is, is simple and, and very straightforward. It's a simple scenario of that God will forgive and God will save. You haven't done too much, you haven't gone too far, you haven't you know, missed the boat necessarily, you haven't lost that opportunity. If you're in this house and you're just like, you know what, hey, I just feel like I've done too much, I feel like I've gone too far, I wanna encourage you with that story. If the people of Israel continue to fall into sin over and over and over and over and over again, despite God continuing to deliver them, they continued to fall. And God continued to love them and call them his people. If you're in the house today and you say, Scott, I've just, I've gone too far, I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that God would speak to your heart and let you know that he loves you more than anything in the world, he loves you. Loves you to the point that he died on a cross for your sins that you might have life that you might have eternal life with him in heaven. That's how much Jesus loves you. There's also people in this room that you just, you're, you love Jesus, you've given your heart to Jesus, but you, you, there's something stirring inside of you, there's something more. God wants to use you. No matter your failures, your, no matter whether you are, think you're not good enough or whether you, are the, you consider yourself the least of these or where everybody around you, maybe your family, maybe your friends, everybody at work has just put you down. You're nothing, you're nobody, but you say, you know what? God calls me a mighty man and woman of valor. And that's you. I wanna encourage you, so let me pray for you. Father, today I thank you that you are a God who is faithful to forgive over and over. You have grace and you have mercy for us over and over. Today, in this room, there are people that need you. There are people that are online. They're watching this and they need you, Jesus. Father, just pray they would pray this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I believe you died on a cross for my sins. 
Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and make me whole. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Father, for those in this room, they say, you know what? I just wanna be used by God. I just wanna be used. I just want God to do something in my life. I know there's something else for me. I want to be used. Father, I pray that you would help them. Help them to, be, to know that they are a mighty woman and a mighty man of valor. That they have great courage, they have great strength. No matter what is, is happening around them, no matter what they've done, no matter what the situations and the circumstances, that you have called them a mighty man of valor. A mighty woman of valor. Father, allow them to rise up with strength. Allow them to rise up with courage. And Father, to help people around us, all the people around us, to come to know you as their Savior. In Jesus' name.